Another episode of True North Nerds. This one's a little bit of a special episode. Um, truth be told, after the Infinity Gauntlet episode or Infinity War episode, uh, we were all a little tired, so uh, we decided to take a little bit of a break. And uh, Jen and I went to Virginia, so uh, we weren't around to uh, record an episode. Luckily, we have some stuff in the bank. And in this particular bank, uh, this is the Legends panel that I hosted at uh, Toronto Comic Con in the winter. Um, so it's a it's an interesting mix of people. It's uh, Dave Dorman, who you'd best know from uh, his work with uh, Lucasfilm. He uh, did a lot of covers to uh, Star Wars books and comics and things like that, and some Indiana Jones stuff. Um, also on the panel is... Uh, guy named Howard Mackey. Howard uh, wrote for uh, Marvel for years and years and years and years. Uh, did some uh, Spider-Man stuff, like a lot of Spider-Man stuff. And um, is he's got a couple things coming up that we're, we're going to have Howard back on the show later on. Um, I would have interviewed him completely at this show, but uh, basically he's got some stuff that's coming out that we figured it would it'd be better if we have him talk about that stuff and his past career at the same time. So Howard will be with us back in a couple months from now. And finally, uh, John McRae. Uh, John's a guy I had uh, never met before. I'm a big fan of his work. He worked, uh, he's worked with Garth Ennis a lot on books like, uh, Hitman and, uh, Dicks and, John is, um, he's Irish, and he is a very good storyteller, and if you don't get anything out of this episode, at the very least, go to about the, uh, just before the hour mark, and, um, John has two finishing stories of, uh, what not to do at conventions, and one involves, uh, editors at Dark Horse Comics, and the other uh, involves a, uh, a Polish convention where he ends up stripping. And both stories are excellent. So in the meantime, I uh, hope you enjoyed this show. My name is Dave Dorman. I'm an illustrator, um, cover artist, uh, toy designer, um, movie illustrator, blah, blah, blah. Um, been working for too many years and uh, I'm still having fun. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm, can we, how close do I have to get? Is it this close or can you? You can move the, move the mic towards yes. you. There you go. Okay. My name's Howard Mackey. I, I struggle with the, the, the title of this panel. Yeah. Uh, you know, legendary. I, I'm a comic book writer. I've done most of my work uh, for Marvel Comics with some uh, brief uh, sorties to DC and, and a few other places. And I've done 
Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, and a bunch of other things. And I, I've done things, for, I've been writing comics almost as long as Dave has. <laughs> okay, maybe just a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, hi there, I'm John McRae in Lake Hard. I struggle with the idea of being a legend in comics. Maybe, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it. But anyway, yeah, I've drawn for nearly 30 years now. I've been professional. Uh, well, semi-professional, I suppose. Uh, and I've worked with Garth Ennis on various books, Hitman, Dicks, and some other ones. Uh, I haven't really ventured out of comics at all because I love comics so much. I'm one of those idiots who just wants to draw comics all the time. Uh, my wife is always saying, go into some storyboarding or do something like that. And I'm just like, no, I love comics. So, yeah, that, and I'm still working away for Image at the moment. Cool. Um, feel free, if you have a question or anything, just throw your hands up. I'm a big fan of audience participation, so we'll definitely get to any questions that you have. Um, I've got a stack full, but I get to do this all the time. So. Um, what I'd kind of like to start with is because all three of you broke in at a much different time in the industry than it is now. So if you don't mind, how did you get your starts? In, in the, the short form. I know sometimes it can go in the long <laughs> twists and turns, but... Well, uh, for me, it was, you know, the, the stereotypical take your portfolio to New York and walk around and, and uh, uh, be interviewed with publishers. Um, comics, uh, reading comics got me into drawing and, and drawing got me into painting. And... Um, uh, I'm pretty much self-taught, but I was fortunate enough to be able to go to, uh, I was living in the South, so I'd go to Atlanta uh, for various conventions and uh, be able to take my portfolio and you know, show them around, show them to some of the professionals there, get some feedback, go back to the studio, uh, do the work. And then uh, probably once a year, I just pack up my portfolio because they didn't have internet back in those days. and. If you wanted to get your stuff to New York without having to travel to New York, you would have to make photographs or slides and put them in an envelope and put a stamp on them and take them down to the post office and send them out and wait for a month and then figure out that nobody's ever going to get back to you. Um, so just, just like you see in the old movies, uh, I took my portfolio and, and called publishers and said, you know, I'm in town for a couple of days. I'd like an interview. And that's the way it went. And so I, I did that for a couple of years and, and um, uh, did, did some small jobs uh, around. But then uh, uh, one year, I think it was 1982, um, I did the same thing and, and got in to uh, talk to Archie Goodwin at uh, Marvel and Epic and got a job with them in the same, same uh, uh, trip, like two days later. I went up to Heavy Metal Magazine, and um, they took me upstairs and looked at my portfolio and bought a piece uh, for the cover of Heavy Metal Magazine. And uh, from there, you know, it was just, uh, uh, you know, moving a little bit faster, a little bit faster, till I was, you know, making a living at illustration, you know, within this industry about a year later. So, you know, uh, one job, one exposure, uh, can definitely help you get uh, get more jobs within the industry. So never never think that the job that you're gonna you're gonna get that first time isn't gonna isn't gonna do you good. It will do you good. And uh, that's that's how I started. Was the old-fashioned way. Howard, 
Mine, mine is a similar story, a typical one you've heard dozens of times if you've ever been on one of these panels. I started out working in international shipping and exporting um, and uh, hated the job. And well, uh, <laughs> Was it international shipping and exporting of comics? It, it was not. It oh. was uh, uh, strip mining equipment, as a matter of fact. Thanks oh, for, for having me bare my soul. That, that, well, that sort of falls, <laughs> falls right into the comics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, as I said, the typical story. And I really hated the job. And a very good friend of mine that I, I grew up with was tired of hearing me whine about how much I hated the job. And uh, his name was Mike Carlin. I don't know what he went on to do uh, <laughs> after that. But he and I grew up together, and he was an assistant editor up at Marvel uh, from uh, an editor named Mark Grunewald. Mike got a promotion. He said, Howard, just shut up. He said, if you don't like the job, find something else. There's an opening at Marvel. Why don't you interview? And so I did. I interviewed with uh, Mark Grunewald. He uh, we went through the process. He gave me uh, a couple of tests as well as a questionnaire, which I'm pretty sure were mostly illegal questions under, um, uh, you know, the standards uh, um, these days. And um, I wound up getting the job as an assistant editor. Um, I always had an interest in writing, but the problem was I didn't want anybody to read anything that I wrote, which was difficult in comic books. And then one day... Mark needed a story written because one writer had gotten fired and another writer wasn't going to take over until a gap issue. And um, Mark wanted uh, somebody who knew the content uh, to fill in the gap. And uh, we went through, oh, we have to get this done. I said, oh, yeah, I agree. We've got to find somebody that knows continuity. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. And then he said, it's going to be you. And I said, oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, we're, it's not. And he gave me a line that I've used in my career as an editor and then as a parent, ultimately. When I said no, he said, Howard, you're, you're mistaking this with a request. Uh, he said, you're going to write the story. So I wrote and rewrote and rewrote. I had to rewrite it five times before it got approved. And that was Iron Man number 211. I wrote that and all of a sudden other editors started showing up and saying, oh, I didn't know you could write. And I got more and more assignments until I pitched the Ghost Rider relaunch. And that kind of snowballed my career to the point where I could leave staff and become a, well, I was actually not technically a freelancer for many years. I, I was a contract employee of Marvel, which was really <laughs> awesome. I meant full medical benefits. And, and I think I even got to voucher for vacation time, which was ridiculous. But that, that's how I, I started my career. John. Uh, uh, yeah, I grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland during the 70s, during the troubles that were going on. There were no comic shops. There were no comic conventions. There were no comic publishers. Uh, my mum and dad bought me a comic when I was four years old. It was Avengers number eight, a, a British reprint of it. And I looked at the pictures and then I turned to them and went, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to draw comics. And they nodded and sort of went, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, so I just started drawing lots of comics. And um, uh, my mum and dad very quickly regretted ever buying me a comic uh, and started pulling their hair out instead because I was going to be this out-of-work no-hoper who just thought he was going to be in comics. There's, how was I 
a person in Belfast going to end up working for American companies. Uh, it just didn't seem possible. Um, when I got to about 16, I decided that I would have to do something serious about it. So I started submitting work. There was a, there's a company in UK, in London, uh, who published Judge Dredd, 2080. So I started submitting work to them, but also I started submitting work. I would just photocopy pages of artwork and send it over to America to the various publishers. I'd draw a bit of Spider-Man, send it to Marvel, draw a bit of Batman, send it to DC. I have a huge pile of rejection letters. It took about four years before I got my first in with anyone, and I just sat and worked, and I did a... I worked in a builder's yard to make a bit of money, and then I would go... I would occasionally travel over to London to shop my portfolio around um, with British Marvel, who were publishing various comics uh, that actually featured new artwork. They published a, the version of uh, G.I. Joe over in the UK was called Action Force, but it still had all the G.I. Joe characters. It was Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and things. And I got a small gig drawing uh, Snake Eyes and then on the back of that, I got another one doing Storm Shadow, um, both of which were okay, I suppose. But at the same time, I decided to open a comic shop in Belfast as well because I thought, well, I, I want cheap comics. And the best way to do that is to uh, import them myself to Belfast. Uh, and I used to hang out. In a, I, was, I was a punk in the... In this, in the early '80s, I listened, and the comic, the record shop I bought all my punk records from, was a uh, was a place called Good Vibes Records. And there's a movie has been made about Good Vibes called Good Vibrations. And I was very friendly with Terry Hooley, who was the uh, the ringleader of Good Vibes, and he discovered the Undertones and Stiff Little Fingers and Rudy and all these other bands that went on to become reasonably successful. Uh, and one day I was sitting in the shop with Terry and I said to him, oh, I'm going to open a comic shop and he said, you can open it in my back room there, just clear out all the crap that's in it um, <laughs> and you can have it for free so I did and I was running a little comic shop there getting all my free comics or cheap comics, should I say never made a penny, in fact probably lost a lot of money actually in reality but a, a fellow used to come into my shop and buy Cerebus and Concrete off me, and he was called Garth Ennis. And one day he said to me, uh, I've got this idea for a story about the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and we'll pitch it to Crisis, which was a sister comic to 2000 AD. And people knew in the comic shop that I was starting to get a little bit of work with British Marvel, and I got a future shock with 2000 AD. So... Everybody who came into the shop said, I've got an idea for a story. So I was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll, if you want to draw it, I'll write it. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. And the next thing I know, they're, they're flying us over to London to interview us and see if we can actually do what we, they, they're asking. So uh, I, I always wanted to be an American comic artist. So all I ever did was draw pencil and ink comics and the Vogue in comics at that time was for fully painted artwork. Uh, guys like Simon Bisley and Glenn Fabry uh, were responsible for that, I guess. Uh, cursed their eyes. And so the, <laughs> so the guys at 2000 said, can you paint 96 pages of full-color artwork? I had never lifted a paintbrush in my life. <laughs> I'd, I'd gone through school, gone through and a bit of art college, steadfastly refusing to paint because painting was 
like for painters, and I was a comic artist. So I just looked them straight in the eye and lied my teeth out and said, yeah, of course I can. Of course I can. Then I went home and had to learn how to paint in public. And the first few issues of Troubled Souls are a master class in a, a guy flailing around desperately trying to figure out what the hell he's doing. And, you know, and of course I was looking at stuff like Bill Sinkovich on Electra Assassin and John J. Muth and guys like that and sort of trying Max. to imitate. Yeah, yeah, you know, whoever. And, uh, you know, where are they now? Pfft. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> losers. Yeah, so uh, they're not in the... You don't see them they're, doing comics. They're not, they're not in the Legends Palace. That's right. Yeah, where, are they? Yeah. where are they? Where are they? <laughs> Motherfucker. Oh, sorry. No children in the audience? All right, okay. Sorry. It takes me 10 seconds to start swearing. I do apologize. Um, it's the Irish. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's in Paddy's day, so, you know, you can let me off. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I did, that was my first gig, and from there... It kind of just snowballed from there. But it's an interesting way of breaking in because I've always, I teach now quite a bit. And uh, when people ask how to break into comics, I say, there's no such thing as luck. When, you're, when, you're, when, you're make, when you go out to do something, if, uh, if I hadn't have started that comic shop, I wouldn't have met Garth and that wouldn't have brought, led to whatever. whatever. So you, you kind of make your own luck. And if you, if you see an opportunity, you go for it and you take it. Um, and uh, it's people who complain about how they have failed to do this, that, or the other, just haven't tried hard enough. So, you know, that's, that, yeah. that's how I got in. So you and Garth broke in at the same time? Well, I'd broken in before him, uh, but he's three years younger than me, so I guess he broke in before me. <laughs> you, know, you know, but he looks older. So that's okay. <laughs> he was also. Was that? I agree with you. <laughs> I interviewed him a couple of years ago. He was a lot taller than I expected him to be. He's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's, but he's he's out of shape. I, you know, he's a big I, guy. I am, he's out of shape. I am uh, not one to really comment on that myself. So I'm going to let it lie. Um, one of the the interesting things of getting a panel with uh, three guys like yourselves is that your work is very different than one another like dave is different than howard howard's a writer and john's work is definitely different than dave's but one of the the, the sort of threads i saw that went through it is They're all of you all guys incredibly erudite and uh, obviously good looking <laughs> oh so, well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this part of the reason this panel got put exactly. together they couldn't have you on the other panels because yeah. other people would be jealous yeah that's, that's what i thought um was uh where was I? <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> was uh, all three of you have worked on really iconic characters in very different ways? Dave's done a lot of stuff with Lucasfilm properties like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and you've worked on Spider Man quite a bit and Ghost Rider, and you've worked on a ton of the DC characters, but in in Hitman especially, very different than what they are in the regular. Absolutely. So. If, if this may be a really hard question to answer is how do you tackle doing legendary characters like that and still kind of make it your own but still sort of respect a little bit of what has come before? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Yeah, go for it. Uh, um, you, you, well, for, for me, because I, you know, it, I was working in mainstream comics with with characters that I grew up reading. You know, I was reading Spider-Man for, as soon as I could read. So 
it was it was intimidating, which is why I'm glad I broke in on Ghost Rider because nobody really cared about Ghost Rider at the time I, I started doing it. And I, part of, I, I and I've gotten myself in trouble with this amongst there's there, there's a a level of comic book fans as well as comic book editors who most of whom come up through the ranks of fandom who are very very um, focused on continuity at every single panel. Now, I, I can't tell you ever, ever, about every panel that I've ever written, uh, much less every read. I like to be aware of continuity, but I can't, if, especially when you're doing something like Spider-Man, who's been around forever, if you start getting so bogged down into the continuity, you'll never write a single story. So what I would always try to do, I, I would go back to the source material, I'd read it, I'd try to remember why it inspired me to want to write the character in the first place, but then I really had to, to tell my own stories. And there were, there, were, there were, I mean, I remember sitting in meetings where editors would say, well, no, you can't, you, 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 you can't not editors. It was always an assistant editor, interestingly enough. Well, you, you, you can't do that because issue number 48, panel, uh, or page 14, panel, six um, said this and I said mm, yeah but it's you know 30 years later mm. we'll get over it <laughs> and so that's it I mean I think the only way you can do especially when you're dealing with character and you know what you're talking about is characters that have been around forever and many generations of readers have read it it's just, you just be, be true to the source material we were talking about it earlier in terms of the the movies the Lucas movies is I, you know if, if somebody tells a good story I, I don't care if it's exactly true to all of all of the continuity it, it just doesn't matter it has to be true to the character and then it has to tell a good story and that that's all I'm interested in so that was that would be my approach uh, to to dealing with some of those characters I mean although having said that I I worked most the body of my work was for Marvel. I, I've written hundreds of issues of Spider-Man. I've written X-Men stories. I, I've, I've pretty much any major character in the Marvel universe. I've had in my key, on my keyboard at some point. And then a couple of, a few years ago, I get a phone call from from DC from Mark Chiarello, who who's a friend of mine. We worked together. Said, Howard, have you ever considered uh, writing a Batman story? And I said no. <laughs> and and he said, well, 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 would you like to do a Batman story for a Batman black and white? Then I said, no. And he said, well, why not? I said, because it's scary. It's Batman. And I, he said, yeah, you, you wrote Spider-Man. I said, this is Batman. And, you know, that I was reading, I've always been a big fan of Batman. And he, you know, he held my hand and walked me through the process. <laughs> and I produced an eight-page story that, that I, had, I had a blast doing. And I get to now say, you know, after all those years of, you know, hacking it out with Spider-Man, I actually got to write an eight-page Batman story. Who drew that one, if you don't mind? It was asking. Chris Samney. Oh, okay. Who, who was just brilliant. And, and just to sign this and little behind-the-scenes gossip stuff, I don't know if you guys are aware of Chris Sammy's artwork. He's a phenomenal artist. He went He's, on. He's uh, just going to be going on Captain America next with Mark Wade. Yeah, and he and Mark, <laughs> he and Mark Wade did a great run on on Daredevil. Yep. Right. 
Well, he, he was doing this, this job, this eight-page story, and I was doing another horrible project for DC at the time. And, you know, um, unfortunately, the artist, and not f- for, you know, no fault of his own, could not meet the deadline because the editors were taking too li- long. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and so we got to the point of needing potentially background, backup stories, you know, four or five-page backup stories. And I suggested to the editor that we hire Chris Samney. I said, I just had a great experience. And the editor said, oh, no, no, no. We can't use him. I said, well, why not? He's, he's an amazing artist. And he said, because, you know, and I won't mention names, but one of the higher-ups just, you know, doesn't think he, 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 he's good. He's very old-fashioned. I said, what do you mean? Oh, he can tell a story? <laughs> and, and so they would not hire Chris Samney because one person in the, yeah. the editorial hierarchy did not like his stuff. And Chris Samney's next job was this critically acclaimed run on Daredevil. And, <laughs> you know, so uh-huh. that, that, that's, you know, inside. Worked out well for Chris in the end. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but he's just an amazing, amazingly talented artist. Surely yeah. is. So Sickening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so Dave or John? Or, <laughs> yeah, Dave or John. Sorry. It's been a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, I went first. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. uh, uh, refresh me on the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> uh, how how do you approach handling such classic characters, but still kind of put your own stamp on it? Uh, well, for me, I'm I'm not dealing with stories per se, uh, even though the illustrations that I have to do um, uh, tend to have to tell a story by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the companies are hiring me for. Uh, but the the primary uh, thing that that I think that the art directors recognize from me in the work that I've done since starting with Dark Horse and, and Lucasfilm is that I can capture the likenesses of the actors as the characters, which is what licensees want from something that ties in with another media uh, project. Uh, There are not a lot of artists that can do that and make make a recognizable uh, figure, uh, recognizable uh, actor as the character. And so I am fortunate to be one of those in the industry that, that can do that. Or at least I was for a while. There's certainly a, a larger selection of artists in the field now than there was when when I started back in in 1990 doing this type of, of licensed work. But um, yeah, that that for me is is a primary factor uh, in uh, taking pride in what I do is to make sure that that when a viewer looks at a piece, they they see you know, Princess Leia or, or Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, but they also see that that is the actor that portrayed that character. Very, very specifically recognizable. It's not not someone that's that's dressed like Luke Skywalker and you don't recognize who it is. It is Luke Skywalker. So for me, that's, um, uh, uh, that's how I built a good part of my, my reputation in, in the industry was being able to do that. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, 
you, you get things like uh, you know painting Alien and Predator. Well, you know, not a whole lot of, of recognizable actors in that. Just a lot of uh, texture and and uh, uh, you know grossness. Um, but you know, those are those are fun things to do, and they have to be you know on on target with uh, you know how they look, so that you're not uh, confusing people. So. You know, for me, I enjoy doing that. Um, uh, it's it's a challenge every time, and it it still is a challenge, you know, to this day. And that's what's great about this work. I, I just I, I observed something uh, earlier today. Dave and I are, our tables are right next to each other, and you know, you had all of your prints out mm -hmm. in front, and there was a, a family walked by with. Child had to be like four, maybe five years old in, um, in their arms, and all of a sudden the little kid looked down at one person. Oh, Luke! Yes, <laughs> and yes. I, I just that that is the biggest compliment. To, yeah. It would be to me that some a four or five year old kid right. identified that, right the character right away. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't Luke in the farm boy outfit or the the Jedi outfit. It was Luke in the Hoth outfit. Mm -hmm. So he had a hat on and he had this furry thing, but. His face was right there, easily recognizable, and that kid just picked it right up. Yeah. So, John. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if any of you know my work, but I guess a lot of people would think that I don't have much respect for a lot of the the mainstream characters uh, due to the way that, that Garth and I have dealt with them over the years within various <laughs> comics. Um, but actually, that's not true. I'm a huge fanboy. Uh, I was a Marvel zombie from, you know, from when I was four, and I read the first issue of The Avengers uh, that I got given. Um, I, it just kind of transpired that I ended up doing a lot of stories that took the piss out of those very same characters. Um, and, you know, while I've enjoyed doing that, it's been not problematic, um, just odd, I suppose. There was a, I did a run of The Punisher at one time with Garth. Uh, we called Confederacy of Dunces, and uh, The Punisher is up against the Hulk, Spider-Man, Daredevil, and Wolverine. And Spider-Man's my favorite character. He's my favorite superhero. Uh, I love Spider-Man. And Garth does not. Let's put it that way. And he, and he has a vague amount of respect for Daredevil, uh, zero respect for Wolverine. Uh, in fact, the only real character he actually likes is Superman, which is very odd to me entirely. But yeah, he loves yeah. Superman. Uh, he really likes Superman a lot. And you can see it when he writes Superman. He writes a really terrific Superman. But in the Confederacy of Dunces storyline, there's a bit where Spider-Man swings into a room and the Punisher has put claymores in the floor so that when Spider-Man stands on the claymores, he realizes he's on a claymore and he's stuck. And I said to Garth, I was hanging around with him in London when Garth was still living in London, and I was, I'd just got the script for this, and I said to Garth, Garth, this just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work because Spider-Man has a spider sense. So if the claymores were live, he just wouldn't swing into the room because he'd know there were claymores there. If they're not live as they were, they were, they were fake, he would know they were fake because the spider sense wouldn't go off. Therefore, this doesn't work. And Garth looked at me and went, who cares? And <laughs> continued to drink. And I just went, ah, fuck it. I suppose, and drew it, and I didn't enjoy it at all. It really pissed me off because I felt if he was going to write Spider-Man, 
it's one thing to take the piss, but it's another thing to not. It's not Spider-Man then. It's he's he might as well have just written a different character and put that in his own superhero who happened to swing around and whatever, and not but not made it Spider-Man, but they wanted Spider-Man. And I, I find it weird that Marvel would let him get away with it as well. I, I kind of... Because you hear you saying about how continuity, 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 yeah. Yeah. and then you get to that era where it's so... They kind of just ran rough sh- shot over it. And it, it pissed me off quite, quite a lot, actually, and I, I didn't put half the effort into the story that I should have, and that didn't do me any favours. And I, I mean, my wife was saying, John, still, if you're a professional. For God's sakes, just draw the damn comic and draw it as well as you can. And I was like, but it's not really Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. It's not really Spider-Man. And I made a half-assed fucking job of it, you know, and that didn't do me any favours. But my inner fanboy was kicking me in the ass I suppose and that's so you know it's 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 odd it's tricky but you know I if I'm going to draw superheroes I want to draw superheroes the way superheroes are meant to be I I would prefer to work with Garth on in comics like Hitman where really the superheroes are just very nebulous to the story and we're focusing more on characters that are actually uh, appropriate to what the sensibilities that Garth and I want to bring to those characters. And if I'm going to draw, draw superheroes, I'm going to work with people who like superheroes and actually want to do a decent job on them. So what was the question again? How do you handle it? I, I was just overwhelmed by your handsomeness, Art, <laughs> yeah, well, and my mind that, that shut happens. down for a second. It's just like I couldn't help myself. Sorry, what was the How do you handle legacy characters? Legacy characters. Ah, I've answered the question then. Perfect. A round of applause for me. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and oh. later, later on, over yeah. well, over a pint or so, and you know, for St. Patty's Day, sure, um, or or for or Saturday, um, I could make the argument as to why uh, Garth was was correct that it could have potentially worked because inner oh, right. there, okay. there are, are inner arguments amongst Spider-Man writers. Oh come on, as, let's have it out here as to how the, how the spider sense works. Um, because you know, technically speaking, uh-huh. before he landed, the way a claymore works, yeah. it wasn't live. It, it became live when he landed, mm. and it's too late for him to react. Yeah, not, but, a, but but a gun isn't a danger before you pull the trigger, yeah. but still he can avoid bullets. But he's also wait a minute, wait. But he's also it's not a psychic power. He doesn't know the claymore mine is there. It's a you know, remember the whole spider sense is tingling. It's kind of like a and I've had this argument over drinks with Tom DeFalco, right, who okay. totally disagrees with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, I think I might so, be on Tom's side. Yeah, there, well, well, well you're wrong. Of course. <laughs> and, and, so that's and, what Garth thought. Yes. But so <laughs> if he's swinging into the room sure. and he's heading down towards the claymore. I'm with you. Now his spider sense is, mm. is swinging. I guess he might have had time to shoot out a, a web line before he landed, or was it just too too fast? Uh, too fast for Spider Man? Uh, well, come, no, 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 come on! Even I don't buy that argument. Yeah. Okay, just come on. <laughs> so you know, see spider spider speed. <laughs> Spider, spider speed? Spider speed. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that was another amalgam uh, story mm. that they considered doing. What, speed, Sp- speed Sp- Sp- No, spider speed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, cross between Flash and Spider-Man. All right, okay. spider speed. 
Knowing what wow. came out of that crossover, are you joking or is that serious? Because there was a lot of like uh, 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 that was a joke. I just was okay. I just was sort of curious there for a minute. Like, okay, I, that could actually be something that was pitched. I'm rejected. actually I'm regretting I did not pitch it. <laughs> Spider spit. Yeah. You in the front there. Yeah. yeah. No, you. You yeah. were the one with your hand up. Oh, but the Punisher was somewhere else, actually. He just set it all up to yeah, I'm trying to remember that issue. action. And, but was, that, uh, but that, that, that actually speaks to the point, the, the argument that DeFalco and I always have. DeFalco always treated it as though it was a reflex. Uh-huh. Okay, I treat it as it's an awareness, and then mm. it's because of his spider speed, he's able to, to get out of it. But if there's multiple... Spider speed's a thing, no. Yes, it is. Yes, I'm, I'm going to be submitting this to Marvel. Uh, <laughs> if, 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 there, if he's surrounded, if there are multiple claymores, then potentially... I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying... You're just, <laughs> just you're devil's advocate. Yes, yes, I am. Stir in the pot. Just... Wine John up. Yeah, I've never even met Garth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You and you've no idea who Spider Man is. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, 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 <laughs> Just winding me up. I do have a question for Howard. But just with the Spider Man thing, if he lives in New York City in the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. like, there'd be multiple things that could. What are you saying about New York? New York, New York is it's, a very safe yeah. place. I grew. Yeah, you're talking about a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn. No, no, no. I He's never. talking about the New York in the Marvel universe, where Galactus <laughs> well, comes exactly. down and kills literally yes. thousands well, and, of people. But that was always my argument to DeFalco. He said he's always automatically reacting. So his point was, if somebody had a sniper scope, mm. you know, aimed at the back of his head. Yeah. Okay. The the bullet is fired. He would automatically jump out of the way without yeah. ever knowing. My my point right. is, he would be aware that something was incoming, and that it's because of his <laughs> TM uh, or copyright. There you go. As long as I get yeah, my spider, percentage. Absolutely, That's spider speed. He's able to re- right. react. My right. question to you, Howard, is: um, So you were like I was in high school when I was reading those issues. So was I. I was I was in high school when I was writing them. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well played. And, uh, <laughs> oh, don't laugh so hard. I, I'm still, I'm still a big guy. It's <laughs> right here. Yeah. Here. For God's sakes, man. <laughs> so what was it? What was it like, like uh, working in, you know, the Marvel bullpen or the Marvel offices, like right before that implosion where Jim Lee and all those guys just like, you know, uh, took off and left. Yeah, because you were there both before and after, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I was the Marvel submissions editor. I was just telling somebody th- this story at the time that Jim broke into comics, and he, the day he, or <laughs> he already got his first paying work for Marvel, and he showed me the rejection letter he had received, f- signed by me, uh. <laughs> a week before he got his pay- paying job. And nice. what I point, he's posted online on Instagram, and, all, oh, look at and I always say, what I said to him at that point, because he was sketching a cover in the bullpen, and I, what I said to him was, oh no, I, I, see, I see what it says, you know, work on anatomy, work on, you know, all that. I said, where are the samples that it was responding to? Anyway, so to answer your question, it, it was fun. It was obviously it was a heady time. Uh, I think too heady in that the sales were so ridiculously high. Marvel could, and and DC to a lesser extent, but Marvel could and did 
publish anything <laughs> and almost were guaranteed sales for a while. Um, it, the Marvel I came up in, you know, I start. I was an editor for seven years, and and then I wrote for them until 2001 exclusively. Um, it was a fun place to work. Uh, before the implosion, uh, be, um, it was a genuinely fun place to work. We, they didn't. When we, when I was an, ed- an editor, they never paid us overtime, and nobody left on on time. We all worked until the the book got done because we enjoyed being there. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. We we made enough money. It wasn't a lot of money. We made a, made enough money. <laughs> we were doing comic books, yeah, yeah. you know. And it was like you opening the the the, the comic shop. Sure. So. We and well, and back then, no, we, it was a lot better than that. <laughs> but we also benefited from the lack of the internet, quite frankly, mm. because you know, on a payday, it was not unusual for Walter Simonson or, or even more importantly, um, voucher uh, day cutoff <laughs> so that mm. they would get paid in time. Walt Simonson, John Byrne, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, on occasion, Frank Miller, uh, <laughs> you know, all of these people were just up at the offices. And that's where most of the best story ideas were generated. We were all just hanging out in somebody like Ralph Macchio's office, kicking around ideas. And, you know, th- that, that was the bullpen. We, we just were people that liked doing comics that all were in the same place at the same time. I don't know about you guys, but if you remember reading the old Marvel comics, and that was the genius of Stan Lee, was that whole creating the bullpen and the idea of it as a big family of people. Everybody had a nickname. Yeah, and they all had the nicknames, and they would do those illustrations of the bullpen with everybody at their desks all working away, and you just stared at it and went... God, I want to be there. I want to be in the bullpen working for Marvel. Yeah. What a great sales pitch. Yeah. Just yeah. so smart, you know, and just yeah. so come join the family of Marvel and be part of our big, happy group. Yeah. Of course, it wasn't like that at all. No, not, not at all. But he, he not only created the but, Marvel Universe, but he created the myth of the bullpen. Sure, um, sure. And, you know, Which I, was a work of genius. Yeah, I mean, we never had genius. artists. Artists did not work in the bullpen. That was, the bullpen was, well, well, they were production people. Um, you know, they, they were the people that did the real work <laughs> so that we could get the comic books hey, out. Hey, second there. <laughs> well, no. You know, they were the ones that made sure our work All right. got out. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> okay, we're not going to have another spider Yeah, no, I don't know. Here, I, <laughs> you know, after your language, which was really, uh, you know. Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. It was horrible. <laughs> and we know. I mean, there were very dark days because a lot of people got let go. Um, it changed the way everybody did everything, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately it, it gave rise to um, sales and marketing um, uh, and upper level management. In my, in my opinion, the, the sad part is they started having more of a voice than the people that actually loved the comics. Uh, you know, there were people that, you know, probably before they started selling Comic books were, you know, they were selling widgets or, you know, or, you know, something else. All they were looking at was numbers. And, and, and I think that negatively impacted everything. Even today, I, I don't know how it is with you, but because of the Internet um, and texting and, and, you know, email and all that, there's very little in, uh, interaction between sure. even writers and artists sometimes. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah you absolutely. Know, I used to spend time on uh, the first question I always asked any writer that I was starting a project with. And several of them have reminded me of this because I'm old and, 
and forget things. Uh, you know, they they they, they said, handsome. Yeah, well, I know it's a gift and a curse. Um, they they always say to me, I would call them up and say, I'm really looking forward to uh, working with you. What do you like to draw, and what do you really not like to draw? And then you know, and then the first story they got from me reflected that unless I really unless they pissed me off I kept in mind what they didn't like to draw and it came into a story later on <laughs> crowd <laughs> scenes nothing but crowd scenes <laughs> oh no no I, I had a better one I had one artist doing doing a dream sequence with, with Ghost Rider and he was so late on the book and it involved this character Nightmare from the Marvel Universe and there was a, a nightmare going on and but he had told the editor who mistakenly told me that the reason he was so late was that the, the Ghost Rider motorcycle was really starting to, to scare him and infect his dreams. Okay, so the very not next plot, because it was so late, the very next plot, I had a double page spread where there were like a hundred tiny little Ghost Rider motorcycles that he had to draw. <laughs> yes. You're an evil bat. I, I, I am indeed. I, I, I'm just, but good looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, those two you often go together. Yes, indeed. You know, that's just the dichotomy of it. Goodness. No. Uh, given your, all of you have been working for quite a while, is there a, a favorite character? You're saying we're old? No. <laughs> I, but good I'm looking. For, good looking, yes. <laughs> Well, not not to tell stories out of school. When we were talking earlier today about that project that we sort of worked on, Mm -hmm. I did the math on when that was, and I scared myself. So I'm not going to go there too much. (laughs) Um, Is is there a favorite character that you really liked working on, and why, basically? It seems like a simple question, but for different people, it could be different reasons. Um, I, I guess I'll answer. Yeah. Because I don't really have an answer. Uh, I, I enjoy what I do a lot. And um, I've been very fortunate to have been involved in projects that pretty much uh, uh, hit all of my favorite characters at one point or another. Um, and, and so, you know, I like Star Wars. I like Indiana Jones. I like Alien Spreader. I like Batman. I like Superman. You know, I like Punisher. I like uh, Spider-Man. You know, it's just having grown up, enjoying and, and learning from those uh, uh, characters. Uh, it's it's been you know my great fortune to have been able to render them uh, uh, at one point or another. So I can't really say that that I have favorites as far as as uh, uh, artwork goes. I certainly would read a Batman story over, you know, other characters because I like Batman quite a bit. I'd read Captain America story uh, uh, over, you know, a lot of other characters because I like Captain America. But as far as artwork goes, I just enjoy doing every painting. Every painting is a challenge and and, uh, being able to, to just work in this industry is just a lot of fun. Go ahead, Howard. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, you know what? because previously established, I am an evil bastard, right? I, I have two daughters. They're all now, now grown and um, starting to pay for the therapy. Um, and when they were younger, I would always say to them, you know, as, as a good parent should, you know, I do have a favorite daughter. <laughs> and then I, and they would say, mm-hmm. And then I would ask who, and, and they would both respond at the same time, me. 
<laughs> and that's it. I got to inhabit for most of my career the Marvel Universe. Like, uh, yes, Ghost Rider is going to have a soft spot in my heart, but not necessarily my Ghost Rider. Um, I, when I pitched Ghost Rider, I was given the caveat that I could not use Johnny Blaze because they didn't want Johnny Blaze. Well, the reason I wanted to do Ghost Rider was I wanted to write Johnny Blaze. And eventually you worked him in there. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. Soon as it was successful, I went, okay, Johnny Blaze is coming into this book. So, but then, you know, I got to write Spider-Man. I, I mean, you know, that, that was the 11-year-old kid in me, you know, got to write Spider-Man. And then, you know, many years later, I got to write Batman. I will tell you the only character that I never want to write, and this would put me in conflict with your, your friend Garth, is uh, Superman. No interest. No interest in Superman at all. I mean, I, I've enjoyed Superman stories. have no interest in trying to create uh, 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 a villain for him <laughs> to, to, to take on. Yeah. So, does that answer the question? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually pretty much in the same ballpark as you there. I have no interest in Superman either. Uh, he's just far too clean cut. So, and, the, the and one superhero that Garth Wright <laughs> would write is the one you don't want to do. Hey. Say Levy. It's um, <laughs> Levy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. It's, uh, you know, he's just far too clean cut. And I, I, there's nothing for me to latch on to. I suppose over the years of drawing sort of evil sort of bastard characters, I've sort of, that's kind of impregnated itself into my psyche or what have you. So I can't really draw a character unless there's some sort of villainous aspect to them or whatever. I don't know. But um I got to draw Spider-Man, I got to draw... There's still a ton of Marvel characters. I'm a huge Marvel zombie, and uh, I love all the BC-list Marvel characters. I'd really like to do a good Iron Fist story. I love Iron Fist yeah. for whatever reason. Uh, I even enjoyed the Iron Fist Netflix series, yeah. where most people could uh, wanted to spit blood when they were watching it. I enjoyed the hell out of it, you know? I, I, it was, I did too. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was okay. Yeah. I thought, my problem with it was is they, they should have trained that kid in his stunt training like months before they did. Yeah. They, and even they if you watch Defenders, he was better by that point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He was a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, Iron Fist's great character. I'd love to draw him. I'd love to draw... Ghost Rider, yeah, all the all the monster characters in the Marvel universe. Yeah. I just love to do yeah. all those guys, Legion of Monsters. Mm -hmm. My God, all those great characters. But I think I've burnt all my bridges at Marvel for whatever reason. Yeah. It's all too boring to go into. Um, there so, are always new bridges built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working <laughs> for Image mainly now, and uh, and they treat me very well, and I enjoy the books I'm doing. I'm working with Jerry Duggan on a new book, and Jerry's written a lot of good stuff at Marvel. I kept saying to Jerry, hey, if you want to get me in to draw some Marvel characters, and Jerry's like, yeah, I'll ask. <laughs> crickets. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I've enjoyed most of the characters I've worked on, and I got to draw Spider-Man. And, you know, I'm a huge Spidey fan. The, the first 38 issues of Spider-Man with Steve Detko drawing them are just, just the best yeah. things in my opinion and uh, I read them all the time reread them go back reread them just all the time there's very few comics I do that with um, so to have just a tiny little stamp on the Spider-Man legacy you know I uh, mainly with Garth of course you know I would like to I'd like to draw a Spider-Man story that wasn't written by Garth sorry Garth but you know where we're, we're where Spider-Man doesn't get crapped on from on high. I mean, I know that's part of Spider-Man's thing, yeah. is that he is crapped on from on high, but and it, not the way Garth does it, you know, <laughs> where, where 
there's absolutely no respect for the character whatsoever. So anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Might, I don't know. Might, might I just say, given your proclivity to mm. to loving to draw evil yeah. bastard characters, mm. the next time, mm. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, a new new evil bastard comes. I'll along. stick you in. As a matter of fact, evil, evil bastard. handsome bastard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, it's a deal. Yeah, just uh, email me a couple of foodies. Not a problem. Yeah, I ain't got Dave's skill with the likenesses, <laughs> but you know. I've got a white beard yeah. and dark eyebrows. You got it covered. Perfect. Perfect. Thank well, you. Or just absolutely. pull out some Kenny Rogers uh, reference. And, nice. and no, you're, I was going to say your face is <laughs> islands in the street. Yeah, there you go. Get going. <laughs> well, you know, you could write it, John can draw it, and Dave could do the covers for there it. There you go. Right. It's right. done. Yeah, we'll call it Marvel Legends or something. Marvel Legends. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if you got if the three of you pitched it to him, you'd get a deal with it. I don't know. <laughs> I'd probably say something like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll have all of those guys except John." Yeah, obviously, yeah, I was going to think <laughs> I was going to eliminate somebody else, but uh, that would go. be me. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'd, so it's I'd, just you, Dave. I'd, I'd do anything for the money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? What have I done? Howard. Yeah, the good-looking good fella. Good See, good looking and fella. that's how I would like Excellent. to be known for the rest the of the good-looking fella. As the good-looking fella. <laughs> I don't have any more panels with you, or else I would. Because <laughs> I'm certainly not getting that at home. <laughs> oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the things I, I always like to ask in panels like this is um, you guys have obviously done conventions before. I am imagining you've been to one or two, if not one or two hundred at this point in your careers. Do you have any favorite stories that come from a convention that you're allowed to talk about that won't get any of us in this room sued? Could be funny, could be heartwarming. I got one. one. Okay. (laughs) Of course I have one. (laughs) I've got many. Um, Mine is going to be actually a heartwarming story. It was one of my best con experiences. And and I've had some really good interactions with fans, but uh, two years ago I was at a show in Hawaii. Okay. Hold that now. Now we're going to go back <laughs> in time. Uh, when I first started at um, Marvel as an assistant editor, um, Mark Grunewald used to like to announce his, his people in the pages uh, of the letter columns. And we were under a big deadline when I came in, and so he didn't have time to come up with any witticism about me. So he just decided to write something about the mysterious Howard Mackey. Or the, and he then and it kind of took off and he cre- and he just kept not making an announcement about me and he kept talking about you know how they were trying to take pictures of me to put in the page but I, I kind of blurred the camera and and then he turned it into a, a contest open to the fans um, the, the, the you know draw what you think the mysterious Howard Mackie and we got a stack I, I have all of the submissions at home and mo- most of them were young readers and then we had a, 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 you know, a panel of people go through, one of whom was a woman I wound up marrying. She, she chose, and we, we, we chose one young, young man who I believe was six years old. So it was, it was like that early kind of drawing that every little kid does. It was just a giant head with a hat on it and like all you know the legs and the arms are coming out from the body. And you know, and we all thought it was wonderful and he deserved to win. And I don't even remember what he won. Okay, so now I'm back in Hawaii two years ago. Okay, and this was in 1984 the contest was held. Oh, um, I'm, I'm on, oh, wow. you know, I'm at my table, 
and uh, a very nice man comes up to the table with his six-year-old son, you know, kind of middle-aged man, now an attorney, and he, he said, I don't know if you're going to remember this. It only opens an envelope, and he takes out the page from the comic book that his mother had framed uh, and <laughs> had been around. And I immediately, I mean, he, he he's not, doesn't know what my reaction is. I said, you're Marky? <laughs> you know, his now, his now Mark Landsberg. Um, and he, and he, he was just so shocked that I remember, not only remembered the contest, but I remembered his name, which if anybody has been at my table over the past couple of days, I'm horrible with names. And I remember Marky Landsberg, uh, you know, who was six years old and drew the mysterious Howard Mackey. And it just, it blew me away. And, you know, I made sure we had pictures taken. I had pictures from the son, and then I did a panel later on. I made him come up to, in the front of the panel to make sure he could show everyone. I introduced him to my wife because I just thought this was wonderful. So that, that is my, my, my favorite good uh, con moment. I'm not going to tell any of the others. <laughs> Thank you. Dave, do you got one? Uh, I have a cautionary tale. Okay, that's good, too. I'm I'm open to all sides of the coin. Um, never go out to a, a, a dinner with a large group of people, uh, and um, uh, do um, a group order. Uh, always pay for yourself or you and your wife separately. Uh, I, I one year in San Diego is probably about five years ago. Um, me and, and a, a group of artists and, and friends usually get together uh, for dinner. And um, uh, it's, it's grown over the years. Unfortunately, uh, they would ask you know, friends to friends join. Of friends of friends of uh, friends. friends. So we ended up with probably about 30 people at this dinner. In, in a restaurant, so I mean, we had to call ahead and keep making the, the thing larger, and everybody would add people to it. And, and um, uh, so we went to this restaurant. It was in San Diego, so it's not the cheapest uh, place to, to have dinner. And um, the guy who organized it, um, we all get there and, and uh, start ordering, and everybody orders water which we found out they were charging us by the bottle. Um, uh, and uh, then the guy who, who uh, uh, and, and because it's such a large group, they're, they're serving, obviously not everyone at the same time, but you know, the people who got there first are getting their yeah. food first, and this sort of, sort of dominoing you know, back. And um, uh, the guy who organized it was there first, and he said, uh, uh, after he ate, and I came in late because I had a meeting or something, so I, I was one of the stragglers that came in. Uh, um, uh, he's finished, so he gets up and makes apologies to everybody and uh, says, oh, I, I have a poker game to get to. Uh, I need to get going right now. And I said, well, everyone, oh, okay, you know. Uh, make sure you pay. And so he threw some money on the table. And then as the evening went by, you know, t literally there was 30 or more people there. Uh, people just kept getting up and throwing money on the table. 
so uh, at the end of, of the night, uh, this small group of peers were just sort of hanging around, going through the money, comparing it to the uh, uh, check. It's fifteen hundred dollars short. <gasps> Ow! Yeah. So, you know, it, it it just shows how how oblivious people are to when you when you. Um, uh, invite them to dinner. They don't look at what their dinner is costing them because you're in a big situation where other people could pick up the, the slack. So uh, as it turned out, uh, later uh, in the evening, we broached the subject to the guy who organized the dinner and left early and said, here's the deal. And we showed him you know, how much we paid and showed, showed him how much we all, uh, the ones that were left, had to kick in mm -hmm. to be able to get out of the restaurant. Mm -hmm. They're washing and, a lot of dishes. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, said, you know, you owe us $1,500. And he goes, what, what? And uh, yeah, we had to sit down and really drill it into him that uh, you know, this is not something that we, we started, that, that he, he did and he left, he didn't, he, sort of organized it and then ran away. And, uh, you know, taught him some responsibility. Hope he had a good and night so, at the poker uh, Jeez, I wasn't, no. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> even there, and I feel like I should buy you onion rings at dinner <laughs> or something. Yeah, so that's, that, that is the uh, uh, night that I learned never to have dinner at a convention uh, with more than five or six people. Uh, just, just don't. And, and I don't. I get, you know, good friends who are saying, let's go out to dinner. I say, how many? They say ten, and I say no, thank you, because mm -hmm. uh, I'd, I'd rather eat dinner with one or two friends than have to deal with that again. And that happens more regularly than you think. Mm. Uh, but yeah, fifteen hundred dollars. I just <laughs> wow, that's crazy. John, do you got one to end this uh, off on? Yeah, most of my tales are very cautionary, uh, generally towards myself. Um, <laughs> uh, you've got a choice between the me fucking up with Dark Horse story at a comic convention or me uh, stripping in Poland. You got a oh. choice between two stories. Ah, yeah, you know, the Poland story's better, but yeah, I'll tell you the Dark Horse story. Does, does, um, it, does the Poland story happen at a comic convention? Oh, sure. Oh, dude, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. No, I've been screwed by Dark Horse plenty of times. I want to hear the story. No, 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 no. It's, uh, Dark, Dark Horse had every reason to not want me oh, okay. on their books after I'd finished with them. I, I, I think we should give John, closing this out, two stories, don't you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, okay. The Dark Horse one was v back in the early days of uh, British comic conventions. Um, and back then, uh, comic conventions these days are very much a money-making exercise for most creators. So we're all incredibly well-behaved these days in, in general. Uh, but back in the early days of comics in Britain at any rate, I, I couldn't say for American conventions, it was basically a bunch of uh, comic creators getting together and getting really hammered. Um, so uh, the Dark Horse editors, Randy Stradley and Mike Richardson, were both over... Uh, at the UK at the London convention and Mike and Randy are 
both quite impressive fellows, very tall, and they were going through their CIA phase at the time, both wearing dark shades and black suits, and uh, sort of striding around the convention uh, like they owned the place. Anyway, Garth and Will Simpson, I believe, were pitching an Aliens series to them at the bar, sort of late at night, and uh, they were the, the four of them were sitting on a bench seat across a wall in a row, Mike and Randy sitting together uh, with Garth and Will on either side of them, chatting away. Uh, at the time, Dark Horse were publishing the Godzilla comic, and I am a massive Godzilla fan. Um, I was, I think I was on maybe my 20th pint of Guinness. Ooh. I was fucked out of my cake. Uh, and I saw Mike and Randy and went, oh, this guy should publish Godzilla. I want to draw Gisela. Uh, and I stagger over, and they're sitting, they're sitting right beside each other. And I come over and go, uh, and I ram myself down between Mike and Randy, sort of cram myself in between them, shove myself down. And turn. Randy's a big guy, isn't they're he? They're both big guys. Yeah. They're both big guys. And no, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Anyway, I turn around to Mike Richardson and go, Godzilla, 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 and grab his thigh in a very friendly sort of, you know, Irish sort of you know, bonding experience. And uh, Mike looks at me and goes, you've got your hand in my thigh, man. And I go, take my hand off, and go, Godzilla, 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 and put my hand back down his thigh. And he goes, the hand's back in the thigh, man. The hand's back in the thigh. And I go, and it just goes on until, I have no idea what happened, actually, to tell you the truth. I either passed out or staggered off to bother someone else. Um, The next morning, I'm in the queue to get some food, and there's two guys in front of me. And they go, did you hear what John McRae did to Mike Richardson last night? And I'm like, oh, fuck. I feel like a bag of shit anyway. And I'm just like holding my my cereal or whatever just like oh no that's me fucked at dark horse two years later Garth's over in uh, at a convention in the states and he's chatting to Randy Stradley and uh, Garth says I've got this new comic I'm going to do with you guys it's great it's called Bloody Mary it's nuns with guns in a post-apocalyptic future it's going to be great going to have Carlos Square drawing it I'm going to be writing it, and uh, Glenn Fabry's going to be doing the covers. And Randy Stradley goes, Glenn Fabry? Hmm. Trouble with Glenn is, is that a couple of years ago, you remember, he came over and fondled Mike Richardson's thigh a lot? And Garth looked at him and went, that wasn't Glenn Fabry. And, and, Mike Rich- and Randy Stradley goes, uh, who was it? And he goes, I never saw the guy before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I kind of got away with it, but, you know... I- I didn't ever work with a dark horse, so I don't know. I think some, somehow it kind of filtered through. So that's that one. So my advice to you is don't get drunk at comic conventions. Yeah, that's a... That, that, remember, kids, you learned yeah. it here today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't get drunk at comic conventions. That, that, it never ends well. That was definitely an English thing. Yeah, oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Ever yeah, had we, a drink yeah. at a comic convention in the United States? Never? You never had one? Nope. No. Nope. Okay, that's a good policy. Still hoping someday. Yeah. Oh, oh well, in the United States. We're in Canada. Oh, there you go. And they like beer in Canada. <laughs> yes, they they do like beer in Canada. 
Yeah, the... Ah, right. The <laughs> Polish story. You should have never brought it up if you didn't want to talk. Ah, you know, I love telling these stories. I'm, I'm just pretending. Anyway, uh, the, uh, we're over in Poland at a convention. Simon Bisley. Me. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, God, what's his name? He draws really good, anyway. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, you know him. He's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's doing Motor Crush at the moment for Image. Oh, jeez. Oh. Cameron Stewart. Very good artist. Handsome. Anyway, very annoying. Uh, yeah, so there's him... Uh, Tony Sandoval, who's a really excellent artist as well. Uh, we go to this big after-dinner show, big party, and it's in this sort of warehouse, and there's a DJ playing and a stage. And up on the stage, there's four or five uh, can... Um, what do you call those things that you set up that you draw on? Like artists, real uh, artists use them? Thank you. There's four or five <laughs> easels set across the stage with the DJ behind them playing, and there's thousands of people in this room all dancing away and we're like wow this is quite the impressive place and there's a vip area set up when i'm sitting up in the vip area having a drink and we're looking at the easels going what what what's with the easels up on the stage and i have this dawning feeling of fear that i know what they're going to do and sure enough the whole evening they get people up onto stage and get them to draw a you know a, a subject that's picked by the audience and then the audience votes on who draws the best picture, and then they go forward into a sort of draw-off competition, and it accumulates with Bisley, Cameron Stewart, Tony Sandoval, me, and some other guy, all drawing up on stage, picking a subject. And I say to the guy I'm with, oh, fuck, these guys are all excellent artists, and I'm so totally out of my depth here. There's only one way to get out of this. I'm going to Kobayashi Maru this motherfucker. I'm going to, I'm going to fucking strip and dance. That'll teach him. And, uh, and so, sure enough, we're all called up on the stage. And the guy I'm with is like, I write you are, John. Sure you are. Uh, foolish boy, should, should he know? And uh, so we get up on the stage and the audience come up with something. I'm not even listening at this point. I'm just gearing up for the inevitable. And they announce the thing that we have to draw. And they go, three, two, one, draw. I just rip my shirt off and go, throw it into the audience, grab the easel, chuck it to the back of the stage. You go, fuck art, let's dance. And dance for five minutes with busy sitting drawing and everything. I pull people out of the audience and I'm dancing with them. I had a great old time. It was good. It was really good fun. And at the end of the audience go fucking mad and uh, enjoy themselves. And uh, I Bisley runs up, takes my hand, goes, the winner! And I give Bisley a big old kiss. And he tastes like chicken. Um, and, but for the rest of the night, I've got the pick of all the women in the audience to dance with. So that's my Polish story. So my advice to you at conventions is don't drink, but do strip. That's it. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the uh, Let's Kobayashi Maru the motherfucker shirts at your table at some point. There we go. There we go. You know, it's a really, you know, I I like to think of myself as not a geek, but that really reveals my true inner geek. I I would buy that on a shirt, though. Yeah. So uh, there was no part of what you said tonight that does not reveal you as a a geek, an inner geek. Fair point. Fair point. Thank you very much. You're you're amongst friends, though. Yeah, I don't know. They are my people. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's it for the panel, ladies and gentlemen. Can we get a good round of applause going for our guests? 
Thank you, gentlemen, very much. This has been one of the best panels I've done in quite a long time. Bless you, sir. <laughs> Set your phasers to sexy. You've been listening to the True North Nerds, recorded at the Utility Cupcake Research Kitchen. Reach the nerds on Twitter at True North Nerds, on Facebook under, surprise, True North Nerds. And you can reach them by email at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. If you like the opening theme song, it's called Set Your Phasers to Sexy by Kirby Crackle from the album Sounds Like You. Please go to kirbycracklemusic.com or look them up on iTunes and buy everything that they have made. You won't regret it. So set your phasers to sexy.